welcome to Tuesday edition. I'm John Gormley. Thanks for checking in. Pretty good-looking day and week ahead in our Saskatchewan. Another day zero, temperatures in the low pluses through much of the day. And if at this point, notwithstanding the heavier snow last week across southern Saskatchewan, if you can be in mid-November and have weather this warm, not a bad way to extend fall. And of course, every single day like this, is one day less in the cold, dark Russian winter soon to descend. Well, thanks for checking in. Hope your day is off to a good start. If you are one of our regular travelers, and I mean either on the roads or in life, you join this radio program, thanks for doing it here today. The hour of the big stories is something that we do every single morning in the 9 o'clock hour. I come with a few things to talk about. But it's your call on the stories of the day. There might be something that you've been reflecting on, something close to home with you uh, in your town, your city, your Saskatchewan, or something more broadly placed somewhere else that's got you focused today. Weighty matters of state, world events, anything you want to talk about. The phones are yours because there's no fixed topic no set agenda. It's 877-332-8255. I will turn to the texts. We'll look at social media. But above all else, I love the sound of your voice. So join us on the listener line. Let's chat about anything on your mind today. Well, this is an interesting story out to Abacus Data, which something's going on here. Abacus Data is one of the more liberal, friendly, liberal-inclined polling companies. They've been leading the headlong rush in the political polling the last few weeks. Methinks they're trying to set the foundations, or at least many of the people paying Abacus and some of the Abacus uh, owners and supporters who are all loyal liberals, trying to set the stage that the longer Justin Trudeau stays as leader of the Liberal Party, the more his party is not just doomed, but potentially damned. I mean, you've seen, and Abacus was the first company that was starting to show a 12 and 13 point gap between the governing liberals and the conservatives. Now the aggregators are telling us, and I was sharing it with you yesterday, they've got the conservatives resolutely at 40 and 41 percent political support the Liberals down at uh, 27, 26% in some national polls. And if that actually happens, the Liberals end up in third place. The Bloc Quebecois may become the official opposition, and the NDP would be in fourth place. So the general view, yeah. I mean, now, of course, the next election is scheduled the fall of 25. So, you learn in politics a weekend can be an eternity. Two years is beyond the scope of space and time for politics to compute. So this is all very speculative, and it's not grounded in other than today, if the liberals went to the polls, the Tories could end up with 204 to 212 seats. And that's in a 338-seat house. So the liberals would be completely blown out. Um, so Abacus was one of the first companies doing this. Well, Abacus now takes uh, to its online poll, and it asks Canadians, should the government do more carve-outs of the carbon tax? 
So the question was, should the federal government exempt other types of home heating fuels like natural gas and propane from the carbon tax for a few years to help people deal with the rising cost of living? Because, of course, the liberals have exempted anybody who uses home heating oil, mainly in the Atlantic. But even here, if you're on home heating oil, you will get a carbon tax holiday. So most people don't use home heating oil. Most people use natural gas. A number of other people use propane. 72% of the respondents say the government should exempt home heating carbon taxes altogether. 72%. 28% say the government should not exempt any other fuels since the changes are meant to help people shift away from more expensive and heavier polluting heating oil. So, you see, that's the liberal talking point now, that they took the most carbon and methane and nitrous oxide intensive and gave them, of course, these are the people who are every single BTU of power generated is 40 to 80% more CO2 to nitrous oxide in the air So give them a complete break from the tax. Oh, to allow them the time and the money that they'll all run out and buy completely government-subsidized heat pumps. Oh, that's it. So it's not really giving them a break at all. Yeah, okay. This was after the Atlantic caucus was in full revolt. So these moves uh, do apply nationally. So even though... It started in the Atlantic provinces, and the heat pump program is only available in three Atlantic provinces. This is where they upped the subsidy on heat pumps to 15 grand per heat pump, plus for certain income levels, the government will just give you a heat pump. That's all Atlantic only. The holiday on the carbon tax is anyone using heating oil. So for those people in rural and some of the small towns in Saskatchewan, make sure you get a hold of Natural Resources Canada. You'll get that that price break. But for everybody else who looks at heating bills this winter, and if we have the usual Saskatchewan winter, which has got a fair number of days with the wind chill and the static temperature worse than minus 40, you don't get a tax break. 72% of people say you should. Okay, speaking of the question of the carbon tax, and this hits close to the heartland, Bill C-234, this was a private member's bill by a conservative MP, and they tried earlier, it died on the order paper, they went back, and Ben Lobb's bill actually got through the House of Commons in March, and the opposition parties supported it. The bill dealt with exempting the carbon tax for farms. Now, originally when they brought in this silly pollution pricing policy, they said, well, farm fuels used for this and this and this, you don't pay carbon tax. But they were silent on natural gas. And you remember that very first fall after the carbon tax began, just at that time, And we weren't at $65 a ton. We were back into the $25, $30 a ton. The carbon tax on natural gas used for grain drying 
cost some farmers the tax alone thousands of dollars a month. So Ben Lobb's bill was proposed as a way to give farmers relief. And at the same time, it would be natural gas used in the operation of a farm. So things like barns, things like uh, poultry operations, uh, dairy operations, you've got huge barns, often heated by natural gas, they should get a carbon tax uh, break. So the bill goes through the House of Commons, and there was a lot of lobbying by Mr. Lobb and the Conservatives. It gets to the Senate, and three Trudeau appointees in the Senate said, we're okay with natural gas for grain drying being exempt, but we don't think any buildings should be encouraged to be heated by natural gas because farmers, like everyone else, should be... And remember this, the carbon tax is a penalty. Like, don't think for a moment that this is some tax you pay into the, you know, the great god of, you know, unicorn farts and happy songs that somehow the money gets, you know, even though some of the money's rebated, 80% of Canadians pay way more than they're going to get back. So the point is this tax is designed, particularly now it's at $65 a ton. It's going to go up to 170 bucks a ton. It's designed to crush you, hurt you, and make your family not be able to heat your house. So then you will say en masse, oh my goodness, I think we're going to go with wind and solar. Which, as you know, in terms of baseload, are completely unsustainable. There's a space for wind and solar, but you don't heat large-scale and turn on the lights on large-scale facilities in the middle of the night at minus 40 when the sun isn't shining and it's calm outside and there's no wind. So a lot of this, and we've talked about it from the day that Trudeau brought this folly in back in 27, 2016, 2017, this relies on technology that hasn't been invented yet. At the same time, it relies on hurting people. So the idea is that farmers are going to have to suck it up, pay the carbon tax, very expensive on shops, barns, animal facilities. And these liberals amended the bill to say that. So what's happening now is there's a standoff. The bill is emerging out of the Senate, amended by senators from what the House of Commons had originally intended. Uh, Pierre Polyev is calling on what he refers to as a massive pressure campaign to push the Liberals to pass the legislation yet amended again to remove the Senate changes. That can happen if the House of Commons acts as one. But one of the reasons these Liberal-appointed Senators moved in and did this, it was generally being speculated was Trudeau had just done his Atlantic Canada carve-out, and the senators were trying to regroup for the liberals and say, we don't really like many exceptions to the carbon tax. So if, and I mean, Stephen Gibo has also drawn the line on carve-outs, quote, as long as I'm the environment minister, there are going to be no more exemptions to carbon pricing. So Gibo says, even for farmers, you don't get a natural gas exemption. So... um We don't have any liberal MPs out here. There are two of them next door in Alberta. And I'm not sure either George Shahal or Randy Boissonneau 
have any political credibility. But if you want this farm uh, C-234 passed, start working the phones. Start calling liberal MPs. Start calling organizations that are calling liberal MPs. For a lot of Saskatchewan farmers, this matters, and it costs. All right, a couple of issues on carbon taxes we get going today. 877-332-8255. Hey, anything you want to chat about today, I'm looking at the text, many things to share. So 118 emergency department staff, Saskatoon St. Paul's Hospital, write a letter to the Saskatchewan Health Authority saying the emergency department is unsafe. It is not only overfull People are not getting the care they need in the ER. Have you heard about this? Usually it's Royal University Hospital that's got all the ER problems. Now it's expanding to St. Paul's. We'll tell you more about that and get your take next on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Normally, good to have you here. Thanks for checking in. This is the hour of the big stories where absolutely anything and everything goes. Okay. To the calls at 877-332-TALK. Ian in Saskatoon, what's on your mind today, sir? Well, I've read the uh, article in the Star Phoenix about this lady who got fired from the city, and she says it's for being queer. Well, uh, it's, it would be kind of funny that she got fired 20 years into the job. Yeah. But... Um, now, what's this weird thing she does where she refers to people as humans? Uh, like, you know, you can go a little pronoun crazy, but what's this whole thing about humans? I, I was mystified. Well, I guess that's what she calls people if she doesn't know what to call them. And I'm thinking, well, just, I, I don't know. But my, my concern with this story is, I guess, CKOM was given a copy of a memo from you know, that was put out by the city after the fact. But in the Star Phoenix article originally, the union and her were saying, well, we don't know why I was fired and let go and it was without cause. I'm claiming BS on that because she would have been given a letter of termination stating the reason. And I, I think what she should do if she wants to bring this out into the public is say exactly what was in that letter. Don't do any of this, you know, I don't know why I was fired. B.S., you do know why you were fired. If you want this in the public, I'm repeating myself, bring that out in the open. Yep, no, it's a good point. And the media is, you know, there's so many good, smart, critical thinkers in the media. There are so many in the media who are not. (laughs) And, you know, first time something comes up where it's, because when you're raised in social justice class, there's always an oppressor and an oppressed. Usually skin color comes into it somewhere, gender, uh, gender identity, yada, yada, yada. And these sorts of stories are low-hanging fruit. It's somebody complaining against the man. This is why we tend to go a little bit cautiously on this show. I mean, a good example, uh, the 10 doctors in Regina. You know, we're, we're not getting assigned. It's all based on race. I'm hearing stories from nurses and medical people saying, whoa, there is another side to this story. 
don't go too far like Avis Favreau at CTV did, you know, down this rabbit hole. So I'm not going to judge, but I'm not going to go one way or the other until the evidence is in. Now, which probably makes this show boring. Nah, we've never been accused of being boring around here. But we take those steps carefully because when you follow the media herd, there is often a whole other version over here that doesn't fit the narrative and is a heck of a lot closer to the truth. Okay, uh, nursing staff, St. Paul's Hospital. And again, here's another one. These are emergency department staff. Uh, they write to the SHA. Uh, they copy the media because every time the media say, we've obtained a letter. Well, somebody, one of the signatories of the letter gave you a copy of the letter. And that's the way it works. So this letter lays out great concerns that someday uh, something bad will happen in our waiting room. And they talk about hallway beds. And we've had hallway beds in this province for years. It was wrong and bad under the NDP. It's wrong and bad under the Sask party. Beds in hallways mean you're not running a health system that has the infrastructure capacity. Fix it. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Thanks for checking in. So uh, what are ER visits looking like for you? Uh, this letter to the Sask Health Authority, uh, and I don't know if this is a coincidence or what happens. The uh, media get a hold of the letter yesterday, uh, leaked clearly by one of the 118 signatory uh, emergency department staff at St. Paul's. Uh, unsafe patient ratios, uh, patient overcrowding, uh, conditions, and I don't care what the hospital is. I don't care. Most of them are filthy. I wouldn't have my cat eating off those floors. I used to say my dog, but don't have a dog anymore. Um, you have a patient in a hallway. You've got a lack of privacy. You've got all sorts of other issues. Talk about vulnerability, right? I, I remember years and years. This is back early 2000s, being with a family member at RUH. And it was, you know, they had all these screens they'd pulled into the hallway, so at least you had some privacy as you're laying there all night long. And I remember going on tilt, saying, hallway medicine, excuse my first world privilege. Uh, we're not supposed to say first world. Develop nation privilege. Um, we work really hard. We create economies. We pay usurious tax rates we have government running health care. You don't have people in hallways. That's not good. That's not a system that works. Oh, do I point out that in the OECD, which does happen to share government underlying funded health care with private insurance, and everything else, don't let's not start on that. They plan for 85% bed capacity. So, in European countries, you have 100 beds expecting 85 of them will be full. In Canada, we are between 103 and 105% capacity. So you put 100 beds in Canada, 
doesn't matter if you're in Saskatchewan, doesn't matter if you're in Ontario, you put 100 beds in, you expect at least 103 to 105 patients jockeying for those 100 beds. So you get these backlogs that begin in ER, you got hallway medicine, you got these things. So this to me is not a political thing. It's just bloody unacceptable. So St. Paul's being the latest one, and there will be apparently this report out today called the Saskatoon Capacity Pressure Action Plan, quote, to alleviate and address the immediate pressures facing hospital capacity in Saskatoon. Well, let's hope that is addressed. Uh, Oh, this is an interesting note. Um, I shouldn't be too inside baseball, but of course, that's what we're doing now after my announcement last week that uh, I'm not retiring as much as I'm stepping aside a week this coming Friday. My goodness, the countdown is on. Uh, One of our gang says, I've been a loyal listener of the Gormley Show for many years. I agree with John on basically everything. Thank you, Gil. You must have a great deal of common sense. You're a discerning individual. Um, His glowing words about his replacement, Evan Bray, leave me disillusioned. Because I remember during the labor dispute at the refinery, he spoke poorly of his replacement. Is John being hypocritical? Is he saying what his bosses have said he has to say? I said, Gil, it's not as murky as all of that. So I sent Gil a note. Sometimes I reply to you because a lot of your texts are great, as is Gil's. I said, it's not as murky as that, Gil. During the refinery protest, I believed as do some other lawyers of my acquaintance, that the RPS was A, unduly cautious, B, permissive toward radical union leaders who were breaking the law, and C, not enforcing the law appropriately or on a timely basis. Those were three beliefs I stated during the refinery labor dispute. I believed it then. I believe it now. So as a result, Evan as he then was, Chief Bray and I squared off. People disagree sometimes. That was the interpretation he had as the police chief, guided as he was, I'm sure, by some of his intelligence gathering, by the police commission, by all the imperatives that a police chief has to work under. But we disagreed. Heck, as I say to Gil, on this show, we often disagree. What I was impressed by was Evan, when it all ended, I add parenthetically, when they did move in, dismantle the illegal fences and actually arrest lawbreakers, but later than I would have done it, he reached out to explain we disagreed, and he didn't take things personally, and I don't either. So this shows the character of Evan Bray, in my view, that you can agree to disagree, strongly without being disagreeable and disliking one another. Evan is smart, he's funny, he's a hell of a storyteller. And Gil, if you've listened to this show long enough, I don't ever say glowing things because somebody made me. <laughs> so Gil, so that's just a little bit of an inside baseball, because I've, I've noticed a couple of texts. Is this the same Evan Bray you wanted fired? Um, yeah, this is the same Evan Bray. I thought, as police chief, should have moved way quicker. Should have, you know, and I mean, that's a disagreement. And you, here's the other thing. I fully understand. I talk for a living. 
I would hope that you and I share great conversations, but I'm not the man or the woman on the front line. You know, it's easy for me on policing to say, we've looked at all the facts. Why don't you do this? Well, I'm not Rhonda Blackmore. I'm not running a couple of thousand RCMP officers around the province. Uh, when Evan was the police chief, I wasn't the police chief. So you can agree, you can disagree. But I think Evan Bray's got what it takes to do this show, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I just wanted to say, because Charlie Clark, who I'm fascinated by, the mayor of Saskatoon, I, I'm hearing from so many sources, uh, his next political step up, uh, the NDP assume he'll get elected uh, provincially in Saskatoon. So there's a lot of talk about Charlie Clark not running again. And he's also very tight with the Broadbent Institute, a very left-wing union-supported radical neo-Marxist outfit named for Ed Broadbent, who was the NDP leader. Um the Broadband Institute has a particular hit group called Press Progress. And it's a little publication, it's a newspaper online that expounds all things left wing all the time. I have been the subject of a great deal of ink being spilled over the years by the Press Progress. You know, they examine Gormley. What's Gormley thinking? They examine Gormley's hateful messages. That's okay. They are a rabid left-wing neo-Marxist outfit that has an agenda. I am a political conservative, and Press Progress doesn't like political conservatives, right? So here's what they're up to now, and they did it once to me, I forget, because they judge what you did, they frame it, and then they ask you to apologize for it. And I think it was some dispute I'd had with somebody once. They said, well, will you apologize for, and then what they list your sins are, aren't your sins. So they got a hold of me and I said, no. <laughs> Gormley refuses to apologize for, okay, that's okay. That's the press progress. Well, they've been able to put the squeeze on a politician in Richmond Hill, Ontario. A guy named Godwin Chan, who's the deputy mayor of Richmond Hill, city councillor there. Godwin Chan is a conservative. So he goes to a Pierre Polyev meeting, and during a speech, Polyev says, Prime Minister Trudeau is imposing radical gender ideology on children. And he is. Remember, he passed the trans bill. Trudeau is all about Transgender classrooms, parents don't have a right. Remember, Trudeau slagged Saskatchewan. Trudeau is part of the whole school teacher radical gender ideology, and he has been from the beginning, and he actually doesn't make many apologies. So Godwin Chan is nodding along because Polyev says this whole radical gender ideology that's obsessed with kids in schools and gender isn't something that a lot of parents agree with. So the press progress describe referring to this as radical gender ideology. This is homophobic and transphobic speech. No, it's not. Radical trans activists and the left-wing press progress believe it is. But it's not. I mean, if you disagree with women who have penises... If you disagree with trans women or women, if you disagree with women get to play sports against trans women with penises, that does not make you a homophobe or a transphobe. It simply makes you stating the obvious that some of these trans issues are beginning to hurt people. And some of them 
are beyond the pale. But the press progress, even if you use the words radical gender ideology, you have spread homophobia and transphobia. So they go after this Godwin Chan. So he issues a statement. In a video clip that is circulating on social media, I am shown nodding and clapping when the leader of the opposition spoke on a wide range of subjects, including a general statement on gender ideology and children. It was brought to my attention that my actions at that event may have been interpreted as discriminating against the LGBTQ21A plus community. My reaction was based on reflecting on my own belief that minor children would need parental consent for undergoing surgical procedures for gender changes. Smart, Godwin. Minor children should have plenty of parental consent. I apologize my reaction may have been viewed as hurtful to anyone, including lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, two-spirit, intersex, asexual, and all other identities that fall outside of cisgender and heterosexual paradigms. Throughout my life as a private citizen and a local official, I've demonstrated by my actions and conduct, I have never, ever discriminated against any person. I'm committed to learning more about gender issues and challenges the LGBTQ21 plus A community faces every day. And I'll work with these organizations in the York region to further that knowledge and understand. Like, don't do this. The press progress, the, if you agree with Scott Moe, the press progress believes you are a homophobe and a transphobe. If you believe parents have a right to both be informed and to consent to a minor child changing their gender, their pronouns, and their name. So the press progress is entitled to whatever it wants to believe. As incorrect, as misguided, and as inflammatory as that is. Godwin Chan, you shouldn't have taken the bait. When this outfit, the Broadbent Institute's neo-Marxist hit squad show up at the Press Progress, you just tell them, that's your opinion. It's not the same as my opinion. And no, I'm not apologizing. Full stop. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Anything on your mind, we call this the hour of the big stories where everything and anything goes. Uh, oh, uh, the fall, I think, is now being completed as if it hadn't already started. Remember Peter Nygaard? If you're of a certain age, you will remember this guy. Gosh, uh, always with that connection to Winnipeg back in the day, the Nygaard fashion line, big guy, the mane of blonde hair, the playboy. He had the... Uh, uh, Big estate down in the Caribbean. He's 82 years old now. And this was a guy who, and I go back to when I was just a young guy, teenager, early, early days. Peter Nygaard, if you looked at, quote, Canadian playboy, that was the guy. Well, like so many of these people who didn't seem to understand consent then or now, uh, a number of women stepped forward to say that Nygaard 
had sexually assaulted them. Uh, the range of time they were dealing with in these cases, uh, women who said they were in their 20s when they were assaulted by him, often in his office where he had his own little bedroom and a, everything about Nygaard was excessive and splendid. Uh, the jury in Toronto, uh, it was Sunday afternoon, convicted him four counts of sexual assault. They acquitted him on a fifth count of sexual assault. They also acquitted him on one count of forcible confinement. But four convictions of sexual assault will mean, uh, again, the sentencing phase isn't here yet, he will be doing significant time, and he's 82 years old. This, of course, is complicated by, first of all, a whole series of similar allegations and charges in the U.S., and a class action lawsuit in the U.S. that has 57 women presently signed up. And so that's the civil proceeding alleging that as far back as 1977 until the early 2000s, uh, they had been preyed upon in various ways, times and places uh, by Nygaard over a 30-year span. And some of the women allege when they were assaulted, this is in the class action civil suit, they were as young as 14 or 15. So uh, there is still an outstanding sexual assault case and forcible confinement before the courts in Quebec. And he is here but fighting extradition to the U.S. where a number of charges await him. So pretty good chance that Peter Nygaard will likely never see the light of day. And he's been held in custody for much of this time because, of course, he is rich and famous with lots of things at his availability that he could flee the jurisdiction. So four counts, convictions against Nygaard. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.